Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And for today, it is quite a, an interesting and special episode that we are having. Uh, we usually take time, you know, to talk to business leaders. One such, you know, type of person that we speak to, we usually talk to a lot of investors and portfolio managers, you know, investment advisors and the like. Uh, but for today it's uh, it's quite a unique opportunity to hear from someone who's been investing um, on the JSC for you know five decades that is 50 years which is a while uh, especially as a as a relatively young person um, I, I I can definitely say that that's longer than you know I've personally been alive for myself you know it's quite an incredible opportunity because as uh, as an investing nerd and geek um, you know since I was a teenager, I remember watching this man, you know, on uh, the likes of CNBC Africa, you know, even, you know, all those years ago, you know, and just listening to some of the, you know, takes that they would have, um, you know, on the stock market. So for today, we are going to be having that discussion just around what all of that has meant. And uh, we are happy to be joined by David Shapiro, who is uh, the chief uh, global equity strategist over um, at Sasfin. He started out, uh, you know, I think the date that I have here is 1 February 1972. And uh, right now we are in 2022, uh, which means it is literally uh, that uh, 50 year mark. David, uh, greetings to you today. Oh, lovely to be here. I've got to say something to you. You know, you're with Times Live now, which is. Uh, was the first business channel was Summit. Remember Summit? Yes, yes, yes. And yes, yes. CNBC actually came and started as opposition and stole a, lo- a number of your anchors. And there was this huge <laughs> fight and, you know, between Summit and, uh, and, uh, and CNBC. And even Stockwatch, we, we started at that, um, at, at that point. And, uh, uh, you know, with Julietta and whoever was around and said, listen, let's have a program where you just ask questions where it's easy chat. Mm. But that started um, as a, you know, from, um, as, as not opposition, but as competition to CNBC. And, and listen, we're still around there. Hey, Stockwatch is still yeah. around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess it's not, uh, uh, it's not only in the in the in the world of uh, investments, but also you know um, a career as well. You know, in in the world of yeah. media, so it's been quite rich. Uh, mm. But one of the things I wanted to maybe touch on as a, as a starting point, David, you know, um, many, many people in the investment community, you know, know who you are. And usually at the beginning of these conversations, we ask people to tell us about the organizations, who they are and all of that. But I think for today, you know, we're going to allow people to learn about you as we go through um, the conversation. One of the things that strikes me the most, you know, for people that... Um, you know, um, look at markets, you know, such as myself will know that you started out at a very interesting time, right? Because 1972, Mm. if Mm. I remember correctly, around that time, I can't remember the specific year, but that's around the time where there were a number of changes happening. We were moving away from the gold standard. And then at the same time, there was the 
the oil crisis that was happening, um, you know, um, and some of the fuel shortages we've seen in Africa were being seen in the United States, you know, at the time. You know, maybe you could talk to us because I can imagine that as as a as a young man starting out, you know, uh, around such turmoil, does that uh, what was it chaotic, you know, uh, as much as I'm saying right now, or what back in those days? We didn't realize if it was chaotic. I don't think you realized it at the time, <laughs> and I'm and I mean yeah. that it was a period of very high inflation, which had started way back in the '60s with Johnson, President Johnson's Great Society program. So we were used to high inflation uh, or rising inflation, um, over which we got the uh, uh, the Vietnam War, which also pushed people out of the dollar. No one wanted to hold the dollar. They converted into gold. And of course, that led to uh, Nixon's decision to stop convertibility into gold. So all this was happening. But the main driving force was inflation. So we built in almost a 6 7% per annum, sometimes even double digit from uh, during the 70s. And it was only much later in the 80s and even later did we realize what habit that had brought on the savings culture. But with high inflation, uh, and particularly the fuel crises that you mentioned, because there were a lot of embargoes, the first after the Yom Kippur War in 1973, and then one later down the line, which just saw um, the, the Middle East, the oil producers holding the Western world to ransom. But what that did do is that, of course, it, it caused uh, not only a spike in inflation, but a spike in interest rates. And for the mm. first time, and this is what was important, for the first time, investors began to realize, hold on, there's risk in holding bonds. There's a risk in holding fixed interest investments, you know, because obviously rates go up, the capital value goes down. And that sparked or led to uh, what is to what we now know today as the equity culture, because in those days, there wasn't an equity culture. You know, all the big investment houses and all the um, insurance companies, they would hold bonds, you know, which would match liabilities, match assets and so on. I don't want to get too complicated, but the equity culture that we know today, the investment analysts that we know today, that's when it started. At that time, I tried, I had just qualified as a, an accountant and I wanted to do a course in investment analysis. I wanted to learn a little bit more. I couldn't find a course. You know, if you went to varsity, you could do a BCom legal, you could do a BCom accounting or a BCom marketing. There was no investment courses in that. And I ended up at the New York Institute of Finance where I, I did a course, which was a very basic course. I still got the textbooks. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to bring out is that it was those early days, you never had the kind of analysis that we have today. Of course, you never had computers, you know, to also help you along the way. So when I say it was important, I think it was a very important shift in the way that we, um, you know, that, 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 that we approached investment from what was very much a trading mentality to, as we went into the 80s, to a much more analytical uh, type uh, economy. That was the age of the investment analyst. You know, the FM. I think still to this day they publish those uh, the FM ratings yes. on analysts. Yes. But in yes. those days, 
And in those days, in the in the 80s, the blue ribbon would go to the gold analyst. He was the most important person in your firm, the gold analyst, you know. And and it gives you an idea of of, of where the trade was. So I mean, you know how that's changed because today I think you've got one or two gold mines, you know, that's about it. <laughs> he could walk, he would, you know, he would be paid. The highest paid analyst was the gold analyst and he would get the big bonuses. So for yourself, you know, where where did you, you know, specifically begin? Because like you said, you started out as an accountant. You wanted to learn a little bit more. So where in the universe did you begin, uh, you know, your career? And like what you said, it, um, you know, in those 70s, it was before uh, the equities culture. So I can imagine that you probably, it was fixed income at the time, um, you know, that no, you probably... No, I was really? a runner. I was... Yeah. This is another important aspect of it, which few people understand. There was no communication. You used to communicate with, first, there was a big market in South Africa in our gold and mining stocks. We were a big market in by world standards, it's certainly in the top 10. And we attracted a lot of interest from America, London, Paris, Brussels, Zurich, you know, uh, Switzerland, all of those, all of those areas, all of those markets. Uh, would would provide a, an outlet for our shares. You know, they wanted to buy South African gold shares or it could have been platinum shares. De Beers was another big trader and so on. So we had a very big market there. And most of our trade was taking advantage of the price difference. Because communication was so slow, there used to be differences that opened, which was arbitrage between the prices of our shares trading in America or London and so on and the JSE, and we would trade those differences. It was a big part of our business until about 1978, where you could pick up a phone and dial your counterpart in London, and prices then started to narrow, you know, if you can understand. And then, then came the equity culture. So it was a that was the market at that stage. Private individuals traded, the mining houses traded their shares, but it was much more, I'm going to buy this today, sell it tomorrow. You know, there was very little long-term type approach to the equities. But what did I do when I came to them? I was a runner. I sat on the desk and in the early stages, I would we would get orders. I would take those orders down on a piece of paper and run them to the dealer who was in front of the gold board, the industrial board and so on. Take the order back, report the order, book the order and you know have it processed uh, and so on. So, But I was on the market and being on the market, you learned supply demand. You know, you learned how markets work. And it was a very important phase of my life to understand those intricacies in the market. But it was very crude by today's standards and very basic, but a lot of fun, a lot of noise and a lot of fun. So from what you're saying, it really does sound like um, you were able to get that ground up type of knowledge you know, because you you literally had to understand the entire process and all the intricacies because you're literally running in between, you know, all of the different players. Um, and I've actually, I remember a couple of years ago when I was in high school, we went for a, for a field trip and it was to a stock exchange before the days of computers. And it was literally, you know, the guys yeah. shouting at each other, you know, um, at the, at the, you know, because the guys arrive in the room and, you know, 
you know, they're just talking and chatting and then a bell rings and the next thing is just chaos and pandemonium and people writing things <laughs> on papers. We really didn't understand, you know, what, you know, what was going on. You know, do you think that investment professionals that are getting in, you know, on the ground floor today are perhaps missing, you know, that key, those key fundamental mm. bits um, when mm. it actually comes to learning about investments and actually understanding how the market works fundamentally. It, it was very informative. I, I found it very, you know, the grounding I got there has helped me tremendously. Yeah, understanding people, understanding how markets work, understanding how they can go up and how they can go down. Look, uh, there's a lot more money today and uh, there's a lot more volatility, but it did give you a, a certain grounding into, uh, you know, into markets. What was quite interesting about being on the floor is that you could tune your ear to what you wanted to hear. So <laughs> in a, amid all that noise, if somebody was shouting a share that you were interested, you would pick it up. You know, And even to this day, I can sit in a railway station or in, in all kinds of noise and I can focus. I can still concentrate. Noise doesn't bother me. My head still kind of filters it out. So, you know, that that you you were able to actually filter out all the noise and be able to concentrate in what was a very demanding uh, uh, trading hall. But but I think I think it's very important that you start ground up. You know, if you if you really want to learn about investments, to learn uh, even if you start dealing on a desk, you know, to learn how demand supply, how shares move up and down, um, and 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 you know, yeah, you know, it can be. Uh, it's it's a difficult learning curve. It's something that takes time. You know, you can't you can't walk in with a CFA and you can't walk in with a degree and think you know everything. You know, it's um, you know you you learn what 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 I still to this day one of the big lessons is that every day you know even when I finish this podcast I will go through the market and say what went up what went down why did it go up why did it go down what drove it up you know what drove it down. And, and and I still go through that exercise every day of my life, trying to understand what move markets. And you pick up patterns and, you know, you still learn. If a share, if earnings are going up and keep going up and the company's talking the share up, but the, but, and I'm talking earnings, not, uh, you know, not share price, but the share price starts to go down, you've got to say, hold on a sec, what's happening? You know, because information tends to leak it's not inside information it's information general information tends to leak into the market and that helps people form decisions it's very important to match the fundamentals with the way that the share is performing because i tend to believe the market rather than you know what the market's doing rather than perhaps the news that has been published and if a share is going down but the news is good you've got to say okay Let's dig. Let's try find what's behind the story. You know, why isn't the share going up if the news is so good? And you'll generally start to dig and find and uncover something. So very important lesson that that I still, you know, still follow to this day. I like the fact that you've brought that element of that continuous uh I don't know what what words to use, but maybe I'll, I'll say continuous learning of what's going on in the market, um, simply because for a lot of people that are watching the markets in the markets, um, you have literally a universe, you know, just let's say today, 
you have a universe of information that you have to be you know thinking about and if you're going to be looking at a company that you're interested in you know beyond the share price you you know the fund the actual fundamentals the management you know all of that stuff right there's a whole universe that you have to you know keep up with just for today and uh, one of the things i was quite um, interested going into this conversation with your particular career is to say how have you managed to organize all of this information in your head uh, <laughs> simply because at the beginning of this conversation i asked you about 1972 and almost immediately you were able to take yourself back and sort of lead us through what happened in the 70s into the 80s and the trends that were pre prevalent at the time because it's hard for people to even just keep up with what's happening today this week this month but you've been able to you know continue with this stuff for 50 years it, it's it's a discipline you have to have that discipline you know, you can't just say at the end of the week, oh, I'm going to find out what happened to the market. You've got to be there all the time uh, digesting what, 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 what is happening. You know? And remember, an old man, I've only got a 64K chip in my head. You know? I haven't got some of these new NVIDIA chips you know, that can store a lot. So <laughs> it, it's hard for me to organize it. But, uh, but um, I, it's, a, it's, it's something that kids don't want to do. Young people don't want to do. And, and I'm saying you need to ask questions all the time, you know, and, and in your head each day you, you, you know, you're making that little dot of information. And eventually one day you say, hold on a sec, it all comes together. So if, if people are listening to this podcast, you know, and you do want to understand the market, you have to, you know, you have to make that commitment. But each day, you know, I still do it to this day. I still sit here when the market closes. What was the volume? Was there anything peculiar in the volume, you know, that I should – why were there big volumes in this year? So you keep asking the question. Sometimes you don't find the answers that come through a few days later, uh, only later. And then, you know, and then sometimes you say, why is the share going up, you know? And then five days later, an announcement comes. You say, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know, a little bit of insider there, <laughs> company new, you know, it's, it's – it, the story always comes out. You know, a lot of a lot of CEOs always say, "I don't watch my share price." They should watch the share price, you know, not because it's a barometer of what's happening, and it gives them an idea of the information that is out there that they might not know about. And if they suddenly see the share going up, and they know that they've been doing a deal or something, they better find the leak. So I'm saying, it's important for companies to watch their share price as a just to monitor, you know, whether it's reflecting what the, the news is or if something else is beginning to leak out. Because your career has been as as uh, as as uh, as long as it has, and exactly what you said, the discipline of looking at the markets, uh, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, and I'm sure even during the day, you've set up systems, you know, to just make sure um, that you keep up with everything. And the fact that, you know, you still can categorize in your mind what happened here, what happened there. Um, one natural question that does come is to say, you know, along the way, were there perhaps, you know, looking both on the positive and negative side, were there perhaps things, you know, in the market that you wish that you had caught on to, you know, before they happened? Um, or, you know, perhaps, you know, instances where you say, okay, we were actually ahead of this thing and this is how we capitalized on it. 
Yeah, I, I missed out a lot. And I think more recently, <laughs> I more recently I can think of companies like Capitec. Um, um, the other one was like something like Clicks. There's some really good businesses that um, never used to, you know, never appreciated management. Let me put it that way. Never appreciated management. And management in my in my view, is absolutely prime. Do not dismiss the influence that management can have on the direction and growth of a business. Very, very important. I've seen a lot of uh, false messiahs, if you wanted to call them, you know, companies that have come onto the market under great fanfare and have just fallen flat and done nothing, you know, just never lived up to the expectations. And that, on the other hand, other businesses have grown. So I, and, and, it takes you time to fall in love with a company. You know, you can't expect to do it overnight and say, oh, I've just found this company. I looked at their balance sheet. I've looked at the financial. looks great. Monitor it. Understand it. Learn about management. It's like any relationship, and I might have said this a number of times before. You know, it can take you time to fall in love. Yes, you can see love at first sight, but, you know, until you know the person that you love, or perhaps you're going to marry or spend the rest of the life. It takes a bit of time. You know, you, you can't make that decision overnight. And, and, and I think it's the same thing with companies and investing. Just take your time, learn about the company. You don't have to try and get in at the very bottom. And I think that's where in companies like Capitec, um, I've kind of missed out uh, you know, along the way. There's, there's still, and it doesn't mean that once you've missed it, you know, a lot of people miss it. And they say, oh, forget about it. Good companies will continue to grow. So you might have missed the first five or ten, but it doesn't matter. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, no, I've missed it. It's gone up so high. You know, we always say buy when it's high, sell when it's higher. You know, in other words, um, never tell a, never say, you know, never tell the market that it's too high and never tell the market that it's too low. So, um, but Give yourself time to understand and to learn about businesses. You don't have to do it, you know, in one day or something. It takes time to learn management. I, I use the example with Tim Cook and Apple. You know, when he came there with, oh, without Steve Jobs, Apple's never going to be the same. Well, it's a great company. He's generated masses of amounts. And the same thing with Sachin Adela and Microsoft, you know, when, when, when Gates went. So it took us time to learn the value of those managers and that, and you can still back them now and so on. There are many instances of, 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 of businesses like that where, you know, we're too quick to just kind of dismiss them and we don't give ourselves time to actually invest in them. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you, you know, on that front and especially uh, the last two companies that you mentioned. And I, I, I think part of it, you know, um, you know, apart from the market, it's also, you know, I guess personalities, because when you think about the uh, Steve Ballmer, before, who came mm. before such a Nadella? He was a big personality, you know. And uh, Steve Jobs was also a big personality before Tim Cook. And you know, when these guys, you know, sort of came in, they sort of brought a measured approach. And you know, people sort of wondered, you know, because they aren't as you know high profile as what uh, their predecessor were, predecessors were. You know, they, they they it sort of feels as if it's like they're here in the tortoise a little bit. You know the the slow and steady guys seem to have been the ones uh, that have returned, you know, um, you know, good returns, particularly um, in the case of uh, what you call this, uh, in the case of Microsoft, mm -hmm. especially after all of that. Mm -hmm. 
mobile phone stuff mm. and you know mm. Nokia and mm. all of that. It's uh, yeah, I can definitely I can definitely um, agree with you um, on that front. And I think as we're wrapping up, because I'm enjoying this conversation, I could be here for the next ten hours, uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, we do have a little bit of a limit. And there were two things I wanted to touch on before we go and the first one is uh i guess attitudes um around equities at the moment we started off this conversation talking about what attitudes were around equities uh around the time that you started and you said that back then there wasn't really that much of an equities culture and that has developed over the years but now we seem to have done sort of like a 360 um, where people are trying every alternative class that's out there and the rise of nfts and bitcoin and cryptos and you know all of this stuff um sort of points to people i don't know whether people are frustrated but you know just trying to find some type of an alternative maybe your thoughts uh just around equities as an asset class um at the moment i i'm a hundred percent equity man that's me <laughs> i don't look at anything else <laughs> it's simple yeah and the reason is is that when you look at a company, you have to look at is management invested in the company as well? Because if management's invested, they're going to work hard to make sure that, uh, that, the, that the company grows. Listen, you've got to be careful as well. You've got to make sure they're working for you and not for themselves. But that, that comes with time being able to select management that you feel comfortable with. You know, it's the Tim Cooks, the Sachin Adelis. You learn about out their characters and you learn over time. But overall, they're going to work and they're going to build up a legacy type company. So I think it's very important. But even in times of inflation, you know, one of the big mistakes that I realized was that so many people in those 70s who had notional money, you know, who had sold their businesses for money and never went into equities, actually found that they were a lot poorer in the 80s than they were in the 70s, even though they didn't realize it. And it had a big impact on me. And, and uh, you know, for that reason, and I, and I found that the only way to build wealth, and I don't want to say protect wealth, I'm not here to defend wealth, you've got to build wealth. You know, if you want to survive old age and retirement, you've got to build wealth. And the only way you can do it is to buy equities, because you don't make money holding money. You don't make you hold. You've got to go in businesses that are going to grow, and you might change. You know, over time, you might change your portfolio. But generally, if you stick with quality businesses, you will be able to, uh, you know, to to secure um, that, that that nest egg and to make sure that you you retire a, a very comfortable person. So I'm a hundred percent equity man, and my strategy is very simple. I look for. The best, and this is arrogant to say I can identify the best 25 companies in the world. But in my mind, these are companies I like. And I and I leave it into maybe 20, 25 businesses. That's it. And if I'm going to add one, I've got to drop one. Is this one that I want to add better than the worst company that I hold? And that if it is, I might do the switch. But generally, I hold on to um and, and you know onto equities. And I'm not influenced by regions. I buy the business, you know, because business today are multinational. So yes, I am. I, I don't look for Bitcoins. I just, I don't understand them. <laughs> I, you know, because that's, I listen, I, I can't even get into an argument about them because I haven't got the basis on which to form the argument. You know? So I just, it's like religion. I just listen to the lectures, you know, I just, yes, okay. <laughs> I can't, I can't challenge you on this one. So 
but but I found that uh, you know holding equity is 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 generally because you get people to work for you. Listen, what you can buy one Apple share or something, and you've got Tim Cook working for you. You know that's all. You can put a few hundred dollars into Apple, and and that, that and you know he's working for you. What can be you know what can be better than that? Hmm. No, it it certainly is, and you know, hopefully, um, those listening can take some nuggets, you know, out of this conversation, you know, to apply to their own, uh, you know, investment portfolios. And research has shown, you know, that uh, historically, equities do return, you know, some of the some of the best some of the best returns, you know, especially over a long period of time. So if you are, you know looking into the long term um then that's uh, you know one way um of looking at things so finally because you've had such a storied career um one of the most interesting things about uh, people that go either into business or have particular careers is that uh, you know their children and you know families you know they tend to be the only one that does a certain thing um and sometimes we find people not encouraging you know their children to be business people because they'll be like i don't want my children to suffer the way that i suffered i know how hard um it was you know <laughs> you know back then uh maybe you could just uh, you know your thoughts are how you've navigated you know that aspect has this been you know a career path that you have um encouraged no. you know for the generations following after you it took me a long time to enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, when I first joined the market, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I wasn't that good. I played wits, but I never. I was. I was okay. I, I loved playing football. I loved playing it, but I also wanted to be an artist and an architect. But it was. It took me time to enjoy what I did and to understand what I was doing. I never went there with the intention of being. I. My dad was on the floor. He was a trader. He, he was a partner and a very good arbitrager. My brother was there. He was an analyst. And uh, my older brother and that, my younger brother is, was a lawyer and, uh, and, my, and my youngest was actually a trader in the derivative markets. But I went there and it, it took me time to actually enjoy and understand what I was doing. But it took the discipline to get there. You know, uh, it doesn't come straight away. There are people, even young people today who love the market and who love trading on the market. I wasn't like that. But uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it today. You know, I enjoy um, what's happening. I listened to the news this morning, and I've got to fathom out. And, and the strange thing, Madhu, when I saw the news coming out this morning and I saw the markets going down, I said, you know, this is the blowout. Things will get better from now on. And I think we're in for a very, very interesting decade of business investment. I think we're in for a very exciting technological uh, decade. So there's still plenty of opportunities. And strangely, because of that business investment, it's going to flow through to commodities. And I think we're quite well placed for that here. So I look forward to maybe another 10 years. It might be my last 10 years, but it's going to be a very fulfilling 10 years. All right. And on that note, we do come to the end of this very fascinating conversation. Uh, we were talking to uh, David Shapiro, who is uh, Sassfin's uh, global, uh, chief global equity strategist, you know, about uh, his career. It's very interesting, you know, just trying to get a sliver uh, of uh, some of the experience uh, that David has been able to garner um, over the last 50 years, started in uh, February 1972. 
Yeah, so it's exactly 50 years now, giving us insight into what that time was like back then and then, you know, where things are today and also just stringing, um, you know, a bit of a storyline and timeline around how things have looked, particularly um, in the equities markets, which he still believes in, you know, to this day. He says that, no, 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 equities, I'm still here for them. And uh, he's actually quite bullish, uh, you know, saying that uh, he believes the next decade is going to be quite an interesting and exciting one. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Lovely to be here. This is Mudiwa's Take. That was a great discussion with uh, David, just hearing um, what the last 50 years of investing on the JSC has been like. And for someone that I've personally followed for, you know, a number of years, you know, just realizing just how little, um, you know, we have actually been seeing, you know, of uh, of his journey that started, you know, so many um, years ago. One of the things that uh, would be great is obviously to have a 10 hour podcast because, you know, you can't distill you know all of this stuff in uh, you know 30 minutes um, to an hour but you know just great that David did take his time you know for us to see that uh, but more than anything else it's just great to see that even um, after all of these years all of these decades he's still sticking to his guns um, to say that he believes um, that equities are where there their lies growth that equities is what he still believes um, will drive markets forward and that for the next decade is still bullish um, on that particular asset class simply because um, if there's a lot of noise at the moment about what people should be investing in um, as a way to grow their wealth because if there's anything that the pandemic told us is that um, you know just having something on the side a nest egg savings you know just emergency funds um, you know good amounts of wealth um, is just it's just good you know to have it's not uh, it's not a nice to have um it's not greed it's literally a need uh so just great from that point of view and also you know just uh the discipline i think that's one thing um that one can take out you know as a point of admiration as a point uh as a learning point as well the importance when it comes to just sitting reading the markets you know whatever you do for you to be great at it malcolm gladwell talks about ten thousand hours uh and you can see i i guess a version of that in practice um when you talk to someone like uh talk to someone like david who has made it a discipline in his life to still be looking at the markets day in and day out uh not resting on his laurels about you know what's going on from there so going forward lots of lessons to learn just hoping uh, that uh, we can take something out uh, to you know put into our own um, investment journeys uh, moving forward And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab. On Twitter, we're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight. 
which is a multimedia live production. So from myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.